Welcome, one and all, to Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Star Trek universe. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Bonsoir, Pete. Apparently, we are the cavalry. Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for the series finale, season three, part 10, The Last Generation comes to you now via cook pilot pete tis the week of space space sci-fi finales in that just yesterday we were talking about the mandalorian season three finale that podcast is up uh looking ahead in the galaxy far far away uh ahsoka will be reaching disney plus sometime in august don't know which wednesday uh but that feed and info coming soon uh and i think pete that covers that story galaxy for now moving back to star trek matt a new strange new worlds season two trailer struck this week and our podcasts of strange new worlds will go over it all later this week a lovely lovely trailer that just reminded me and perhaps a lot of people, everything that is wonderful about that show and wonderful about Star Trek. I want uh, the ship to go now. <laughs> uh, more more locally to this podcast, uh, as many people know, as some listeners attended, there, uh, the last two episodes and a cast Q&A were screened in uh, IMAX the evening before the series finale dropped. Um, which, among other things, Pete, what an interesting model of having a TV streaming thing hit the movies first. I think they're going to do that with another thing later on, but no wine before it's time on that. Yes, you're referring, of course, to the announcement a little earlier this week that Section 31 would no longer be a series, but instead a special movie on Paramount+. Plus of course, starring Academy Award winner Michelle Yeoh uh, that will go into production later this year. But squarely on Picard, um, you know, between both the idea that some of these characters may return and hashtag Star Trek legacy and, uh, you know, tweeting Star Trek Picard on the hour, every hour to make sure the Paramount Top Brass and CBS Studios and Paramount Plus know that you want more. But wait, hey, Star Trek Discovery Season 5 does their reshoots this week. Uh, That'll kind of square off the series. Hey, guys, you have to end this. Uh, All right even though you brought a network into existence and brought Star Star Trek back onto TV. Okay, we have the Starfleet Academy show that has now been greenlit. Oh, there's a little show called uh, Star Trek Lower Decks that is writing for a fifth season. Um, And Terry Matalas, showrunner here himself, has told you uh, if there's going to be a hashtag star trek legacy it's not going to be for a while because it's going to be difficult to justify financially with all the other stuff pete no one works harder on twitter than terry madalis to get the word out about terry madalis's work on star trek uh and that is a certainly 
unique experience, um, particularly as this particular rodeo comes to an end. Uh, I don't know. It'll time will tell, as with all things. But if they are contracting the amount of stuff being made, and if they're contracting Star Trek a bit, and they haven't announced Star Trek Legacy on the heels of this episode, about which we're about to dive on into. It, it, it seems like a weird confluence of events, but I will say this, Pete, you may have heard it before that due to a, due to just the timing not being right, Star Trek is dead and Star Trek is over. So if anything, if anything can come back at any time, it is anybody from Star Trek. The best last hope would be for a Strange New Worlds situation where couple years down the road it's going to be san diego comic-con or new york or first contact day or star trek day where uh and wait we're getting a transmission from captain of nine wait what hashtag star trek legacy is going to series like we, we all want this we all want it to happen. But as you mentioned, there's the business realities of it right now. And streamers slow down a potentially uh, looming Writers Guild of America strike. And it's it's tough. I, I just wonder, like, what is the dent that some social media noise from April, April of 2023 does 18 months later in terms of the bean counters making a decision to, to green light a multi-million dollar series, but you know, fingers crossed and goodness knows Matt fantastic geek will do its part. Indeed. And if nothing else, Pete, it speaks to the strength and vibrancy of the star Trek fandom, which is why, uh, things like section 31 and the new stranger worlds trailer were released on First Contact Day. Wait, no, that's not true. They were announced a week or two after First Contact Day, despite the. Pete, I think First Contact Day. I think it was Greek Orthodox First Contact Day, wasn't it? Uh, it may have been. Pete, I think that uh, I I see Jean-Luc Picard waving at us over there. It's time for us to head into our mission briefing. Uh, new Enterprise D. Borg Star Trek universe card, Matt, at the very tippity top, a nice touch to really kind of differentiate this cinematic entry, the, the second part of what was screened in IMAX um, from the, uh, the other episodes. And add to it this contrast here of the dire you know, the, the dire story situation, President Anton Chekhov announcing that... See the phaser guy? If you see a phaser in the first part of the episode, it's got to do something by the end of the episode? Pete, the obvious here is that uh, beloved actor, Walter Koenig, of course, is voicing the progeny of his original Chekhov. I must admit, initially, it went over my head and I needed to kind of circle back to realize that they've named President Anton Chekhov over the late, the great Anton Yelchin, who of course had played Chekhov in the in the Kelvin films. So just a, a lovely tip of the hat to classic Trek, to the, those who are still with us, to those who are not. And the playwright, let's, let's credit the playwright. I think it, it's doing that dual duty. 
Indeed, indeed. Anyhow, President Anton Chekhov announcing that planetary defenses are failing uh, on Earth. Once space dock is down, we're in trouble. Pete, engineer Matt maybe wants to quibble a little bit that you just have the one thing, which is both a docking station and the source of uh, protecting, you know, the seat of power for the Federation. But I get you kind of need some sort of singular Chekhov's gun here to be a story focus. I'm not really complaining. Um, President Chekhov does say that uh, his father used to remind him that hope is never lost and there are always possibilities. A little uplift there before he is pulled off the comm signal as he recommends to all who are listening to try and save yourselves if Earth falls. Really interesting to uh, evoke the very beginning part of the next generation title credits as the message is being played and then the enterprise d comes into frame i understand there is different imagery in the european release of this and i've seen some side by side um interesting to note and also you know some things we might see when the blu-ray comes around here but uh ultimately as we leave this the crew of the enterprise listening to this message um what they both know of and are learning about um that uh wharf explains the fleet has initiated an attack formation against earth Jordy tells them that orbital weapon platforms have been destroyed, but space docks defenses appear to be repelling the attack. Oh, they'll do that for some time. And Riker says planetary shields won't hold against the fleet and wants to know where the cavalry is. The data tells him the hails from both Federation and civilian ships have gone silent. Apparently, they are the cavalry. And Picard recaps that the fleet is being controlled by the Borg Collective. Beverly says if Earth falls, everything else will, which is so often the case. The data explains that long-range sensors have picked up a signal near Jupiter. Picard tells him to lay in a course. They're, once they arrive there, it's not just anywhere on Jupiter. It is the Borg Cube. Uh, to be found in uh, that swirling red eye of Jupiter. They scan, they scan, they find that Jack's voice is in there, giving all these commands. He is uh, the source of the command signal. The only way to save the fleet and to save Earth is to sever the signal, no matter the cost. I have to admit, Pete, this is the first time of a number of times where... I think I can take some quibbles with how this season has gone. I can take some quibbles with the amount of time Terry Madela spends on Twitter. Uh, the notion that he oversaw a protracted fake out to the audience to make us think someone or someone's will die. I tip my hat to that because yeah. it's, it, it's so, um, it, it's so in front of you as a writer to sit and say, let's make them pay the price. And one could almost argue in a, in a neutral property, well, it's lazy to not make it. You're, you're going to go through this whole process and be like, and now everybody's basically the same or whatever. They got like a new kid or they love each other a little bit more. To resist that and to say, as Terry Madalus 
said, I think on Twitter or maybe in an interview, his goal was to put the action figures back up on the shelf when he was done with them. That's the right call. However, don't let me know that the first time I watch this because I was prepared to have multiple people get killed off. And it's well, happening you had, here. You had uh, thought you were spoiled. And I said, spoil me. What is it? I had I, I saw a tweet that I thought was from someone who saw the finale screener. So this was prior to the IMAX coming out. Um, talking about, and I quickly had looked away, so maybe I misread, or maybe maybe it's one of our great Twitter friends, and I just didn't see the name. I don't know, but that it was uh, Beverly Crusher dies, and I immediately was like, that makes sense. Somebody has to pay the price. She's going to have to what give herself up for her son, or Which she totally would. Yeah, um, she or, was prepared to do. Then it leaves a hole in the life of her son. Then it leaves a hole in the life of Picard, and it's the what if and all of that. Also, I'm kind of like, look, we all love Dr. Crusher. I think if you had to choose one of the seven, maybe her versus others. That might be a choice. That might be a choice I would make, the terrible Sophie's choice I might make. I was completely ready for that to happen. And, you know, not to fast forward through our recap here, but in the midpoint when it's like, all right, who's going to go down to die? And it's like, not her. And it's like, no, I'm, I'm waiting for her to say, no, let me go, Jean-Luc. And I'm like, oh, there she's toast. And then all of a sudden she stays on the ship and I was like, what, what was that? You know? So again, that deception is, 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 you know, the core of which is in this script right here, giving us the idea there's going to be a cost. Someone will die. Perfectly sold. And again, to echo Madalus, because he's spoken a lot about this stuff. You know, you mentioned the, the playset aspect, the idea that he could not kill off his, childhood heroes but not that you can't make people think you will um but what has begun over 35 years ago ends tonight says picard and has geordie take them in near these massive protruding antennas of this borg cube uh come from a transwarp conduit hidden inside the gases of Jupiter like we've never seen before to take us to the title card for part 10, the series finale, The Last Generation. We come out of that at Space Dock where there's just massive, massive phaser fire happening. The Borg fleet continuing to fire and continuing to fire. Uh, part of that Borg fleet is the Titan and its Borg crew. Uh, that Borg crew, you know, some of our recurring bridge regulars here do detect unauthorized movement on deck five. We go to deck five. You see, Pete, that's how story handoffs work. It's seven and some others leading the firefight. Uh, they do make their way to the bridge. Pete, I'm not here to tell the Borg that maybe if you just shut down turbo lifts, life would have been a whole lot easier because sometimes you got to get your hero to the bridge. It's all good. Um, I like that in the uh in the urgency of the moment here we have not had an explanation for hey that phaser looks different and seven takes a few shots and then we see somebody get beamed out and i actually initially was like oh the borg are beaming themselves out moments right. before the phaser bullet hits they, them they are adapting Captain, Indeed. they've adapted um, but ultimately, once our heroes retake the bridge, it's explained uh, that the new phaser is indeed a transporter phaser. Um, and we see that the Borg crew have been sent to the locked transporter room. 
again, Pete, I'm not here to tell you if only they had done like part two, which is keeping the buffer because that would just not make for an interesting story. Like I'm not even being snide about that. They're on emergency power and emergency time. Exactly. The buffer doesn't work when you're on emergency power. Right. But rematerializing in transporter room one, which is now locked. The collective tells Sydney and Alondra LaForge, Esmar and Mura to take back the Titan. Rafi tells them the assimilated crew made it. And Seven commends them for routing transporter fields through the phasers. Oh, now we know what just happened here. We've seen them safe, what they had done. Seven orders everyone to stations, even the cook who had lunar flight class training. But he didn't finish because his mom got sick and he had to run the deli back home because his brother had a hernia. Uh, You're a pilot. That makes you our pilot. You've got this. Stations, please. And Dr. Oak opens comms. Love that Dr. Oak here, you know, able to spend some time on the bridge. This Trill character. Want to see more of her in hashtag Star Trek Legacy as well. Okay. Uh, Told to open comms to the maintenance channel. And Seven says they have to find a way to disconnect the the ship from fleet formation before they uh, find out they took it back. We cut to the Borg cube and the Enterprise in front of it, data revealing that it is only 37% operational. I have to wonder, Pete, was it originally 47% operational, like (laughs) as the Star Trek number and somebody was like, maybe this is not the time to do a cute thing. Um, But most of the resources of that 37%, uh, which is, say, Pete, a percent of a percent, uh, most of those resources are focused on boosting that signal, getting that signal out there. Troy feels that there's quiet suffering in the Borg cube, uh, but suddenly the shields are lowering. And just in case your mind wandered, Pete, or if you were spending too much time thinking about Star Trek Legacy and not enough time thinking about this, Picard restates the objective. Cut the signal if we can find it. Who will go down and risk it all? There is, after all, Jack's signal in there. And again, this is where I was like, wait, it's not Beverly who's going there to die? Uh, because goodbyes are said as Picard, Worf, and Riker prepare to leave. Again, an excellent setup for good for for you know as, excellent setup as final goodbyes that ultimately will not come. I was full on like I remember watching. I remember the first time Bill Riker, in one of the only times he was called Bill, walked <laughs> onto the bridge, and uh, you know Deanna was there as they rehashed what Gene had written for you know Decker and. Ilya and all of that and an encounter far point, et cetera. And now they're saying their final goodbyes. I was on board hundred percent. Yes. And Worf will make it a threesome. Does he even hear himself? Uh, Data has experience with the Borg, but Picard says they need him there. And Beverly adds that even though she wants to tear them limb from limb, they need every advantage they can get. Uh, Riker and Worf will locate the beacon and transmit its coordinates back. The forge is given the con and the uh, Riker Troys or the Troy Rikers share an unspoken word. As the away team goes to the turbo lift, Picard pauses to tell them it's been an honor serving with them all. The, the three headed for the cube uh, are shown walking through the cube, seeing necrotic, rotting drones indeed the one just... guy has tinfoil all over the side of his face well pete that's because their tissue 
it's being reabsorbed back into the collective. Oh, I wonder for what purpose. Uh, Jack's bio signs are close. Uh, and this is where Picard must now part with the other two. Another effective goodbye, because Picard's headed to Jack. Worf and Riker headed to get the plans for the location of the thing to make the stoppings. Um, and elegant writing here, Pete, from Terry Madalus. As Worf says, the Klingons, uh, there are two turns of phrase that Klingons do not know. Defeat and farewell. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, they they separate and Picard makes his way down, losing comms, finally all alone and entering the control room to see what, Pete? The Borg Queen, Matt, that we will ultimately come to understand was the face, the way that it is designed, still credited as the voice of the Borg Queen, Alice Krieger. I need the behind the scenes of how they made this apparent, you know, effect to look so much like her. Cause I really thought, Oh, all right. They did wind up bringing her on set and put her in the appliances and all that. But apparently it's only her voice, but with the severing between our triumvirate here, Picard, Riker, Worf, this idea that he can no longer be their captain. He must be, a father um, and Riker's, uh, you know, thanking Riker with his voice breaking, you know, moving into this space against his greatest nemesis, um, you know, to find Jack assimilated very much as he was. I mean, down to the outfit and and the look of it reminiscent from Lacutus. Um voicing the Borg's ultimatum. Um, and as uh, he tells his son, he's there to take him. Picard hears that familiar laugh uh, to tell him that Jack is home. And at last, Lacutus has returned to his true family. Pete, the Queen's body, played by Australian actress Jane Edwina Seymour, not the same as Jane Seymour, um, she, I know that some of the rationale was we couldn't possibly ask Alice Krieger at age 68 to sit in all the makeup. Uh, Jane Edwina Seymour, um, a silver haired lady. Uh, so I guess maybe the age concerns are less so when you're less famous. I don't know. By the way, Pete, Jen, uh, Jane Edwina Seymour's uh, resume on her website says that she will also be a recurring character in the Ahsoka series. Um, <laughs> So to what degree, I don't know, because she said she was a recurring co-star in Picard. And it's a nice little slice here in two episodes, but we can keep an eye out for her distinctive face, perhaps, uh, in, in Ahsoka. Uh, but we go back to the Titan, where Seven and company see that the Enterprise is out there at Jupiter. Uh, points off for Rafi, not the story, points off for Rafi for not immediately knowing that NCC 1701D uh, is, you know, a legacy ship and an Enterprise and all that. I realize it's been a bunch of years since the Enterprise D crash and so forth. But come on, you're in Starfleet, NCC 1701, but I digress, Pete. It was a little spurious uh, to that, but oh, okay, all right. And they're not tied to the new system. Uh, Seven says they've got to give them time. 
Rafi explaining that fleet formation is using line of sight propagation. So seven surmises, if they can't see them, they can't control them. So she has the crew put in every prefix code and upload it to the fleet to scramble their she shields and has pilot cook uh, wondering how they'll take on the whole fleet. But seven, seven uh, makes a stand here asking them to fight for everything because they're all that's left of Starfleet and they engage the cloaking device. Back to the Borg cube, Picard and the Queen are trading barbs. She notes that after the last adventures with uh, Starfleet and all of that, she was completely alone, cut off, uh, until she heard the voice of Jack out there. Meanwhile, Worf and Riker have found the junction port, uh, and they are working on finding the beacon's coordinates. We go back to the Titan, firing at the fleet just long enough to get a few shots off. Uh, then they recloak and reload. I have to admit, Pete, I was like, well, what good is that going to do? And it's either here, you know, a lot of this is intercut. It's either here or in a few moments when it's said uh, part of the fleet is uh, using its resources to look for us. So, you know, the idea that the Titan is trying to slow down the attack on space dock, maybe that's not like a thousand percent banged on home to we the audience but it's clear enough that the titan is doing its best to to have an impact here uh Riker and morph eventually find the coordinates and uh meanwhile back in the titan the assimilated uh are loose from the uh the transporter room uh drones are going after Riker and morph on the cube so uh, you know there, there's conflict aplenty and there's a, a particularly good fight here for Worf against those uh, couple of drones. The ratcheting up through the intercutting, you know, as you said before, Riker and Worf wrath of Khan their way to this central access node. And first a drone opens its eyes. And then, you know, we have more continue to awake um, the disclosure to Picard that all the pieces for the deal the Borg struck with Vatic and her changelings that they weaponized his, his and Jack's biology to propagate forever out into the stars. This new generation of Borg who are breaking out of transporter room one, uh, not to assimilate, but to annihilate. Um, and then uh, Worf getting hit, the cube firing on the Enterprise D, shields dropping not to 47%, but to 68%. Majority saying they need to take out these turrets. Worf handing to Riker his sword, which is a great uh, aspect here that he can barely lift it. But look in the hilt. There's a phaser. And the Titan uh, cross cuts to cloak away as Rafi. I don't quite understand how she knows this says they're using predictive algorithms to find them and they can't stall forever as Riker has downed those drones. And Jordy tells Beverly he didn't have time to work on weapons, so she's going to have to do this manually. And after she absolutely lays waste to the surface of the Borg cube, a moment of levity here on top of the sword gag, that's a, that a lot has happened in the last 20 years. Everybody kind of getting their moment in this story. Multiple and, moments, which I think 
is super smart. You know, why Matalus wanted to do this and give them the 10 hour swan song movie they never got. Look at the way that Beverly Crusher is mishandled in Star Trek Nemesis is an absolute travesty. Well, certainly a better a better use here. Uh, and right in time, the Enterprise now has the beacon uh, location, the schematics and so forth. It's revealed to be at the heart of the cube. Uh, it, it would take a supercomputer or, or a LaForge to fly them in. And I'm like, but wait, hold on. You don't have a LaForge, but I think you have the supercomputer there. Data has to advocate for himself. He is ready to do it. He feels he can do it in his gut. Uh, and with that, it's flying time. Uh, we go back to space dock where the shields are down. Almost all hope is lost. Um, planetary shields are coming down as well. Earth in the open. The Borg fleet is targeting every major city. Uh, and the Titan is losing its cloak. Pete, this is this is our, 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 our emotional low point here. Um, the, the Borg crew has destroyed the cloaking device. Um, back to Jack. He's ready to take out all the cities. Uh, the Enterprise sees that destroying the beacon means destroying the cube which also means killing our folks who are on it which again first view completely buying that uh but jordy kind of splits the difference here they can give a little bit more time and then they will start the destruction which itself will be kind of its own sort of countdown but perhaps indeed this is the end this cataclysmic chain reaction that it's going to start but Beverly says, can there be another way? And Troy noting, if they kill everyone down there, then, you know, everyone else in the galaxy can live. And uh, Jordy asks and Beverly nods. So Jordy tells uh, Riker they can lock onto him, but not Picard. Prepare to beam up. No, no. Belay that. He can't leave. Number one, can't leave his captain um there's a reaction shot of deanna here um and she tells will that the moment they fire they'll have a minute to get out at most but Riker says that he owes his captain a lifetime he can at least spare him a minute and cockily tells her he'll see her soon um and uh, Worf confesses that he thought for a moment today they might actually survive, which gets a laugh out of Riker. But uh, Data loses their signal as they head into the dead zone. Matt, in what I call the dad zone, Picard <laughs> breaks the vow that he'd never return that he had for half of his life to the collective but now he has something to go back for and just as Riker and Worf arrive plugs in to see footage from the 1996 feature film Star Trek First Contact you should really check it out um, and arrives in what I call the green space <laughs> with Jack who can feel them the collective the youngs as we've noted Hello, fellow youths. You know, what's it like 
to also be 22, though I'm 36? Uh, Pete, here they are in the Borg matrix, as my notes call it. Uh, the, you know, Picard and Jack talking about the family that Picard did not have. He thought he could never uh, truly have a family. He had gone to that vineyard. I love how Patrick Stewart pronounces it, vineyard. Vineyard to die. Uh, but he now realizes that Jack was the part of Picard that he never knew was missing. Terry Madelis, you may stay up far too late on Twitter and get up far too early to hear what people on the East Coast have to say, but my goodness, that's a hell of a line there. Uh, but now the time has come. Destroy the beacon. Uh, and Riker wonders if, indeed, this is the end for him and Worf. Uh, indeed, you know, for, for our crew. In the Matrix, though, Jack and Picard hug. Inspiration for Jack to accept family uh jack ultimately breaks free of those borg bonds frees his father we're pulling all those plugs and so forth but the cube is still blowing up Riker reaches out kind of telepathically uh of sorts i know Riker is not himself telepathic but they have a unique bond which was shown in uh encounter farpoint where they could speak telepathically and it was never used again until now where Riker reaches out saying goodbye again lovely little moment here because that's how that she then knows where they are Pete she flies the ship part of me kind of cheekily wanted to be like no don't fly it again didn't you crash it in one of the movies but that's all all in good fun because the Enterprise swoops in in a curious little editing moment here beaming out Picard and Jack then showing the Enterprise starting to move, then showing us that Worf and, Worf and Riker are beamed out, which may be slightly out of order from what they meant, but we know what they meant. Everybody's back, and we're starting to feel better. The emotional resonance of this. What, what got me was the Troy moment where she knows where they are, and she gets up to that station. It's a really great moment, and again, that Everybody gets a couple of these, um, you know, despite the shockwave interference to their transport sensors, they're able to do this. Okay. Um, and the, the whole idea that the queen is trying to explain here, well, Jack, if you leave, even if you survive, um, you'll be different, changed, broken, alone. But he tells her he will not be alone as they're beamed out. And the queen screams. The collective command signal interrupted. Uh, the fleet using their last directive and the crew reaching the bridge as everybody pulls phasers on one another. But that cube blows in a lovely extended explosion where it takes the enterprise D quite some time because of the scale to arrive towards the camera. The crew has been saved and seven hugs Sydney LaForge before out of the enterprise D turbo lift poor Picard pause, pause for dramatic effect. Jack with, the marks from that faceplate coming off, and then Riker and Troy reunite. Data and Jordy get to sit next to one another. Worf takes that third seat that Troy always sat in, and then the snoring 
which was just another awesome moment. Really Shakespearean in the way that we level out this episode throughout. We have kind of a, a slight narrative pause. Uh, we see the Enterprise D returning to Earth. The star date is a day one of let's sorts. Let's say one. <laughs> What's that? Let's let's say. Shall we say one? <laughs> Indeed. Um, the Borg infection has been removed, courtesy of uh, Admiral Crusher, head of Starfleet Medical. Maybe we'll pretend that she didn't go to Starfleet Medical in her season two absence on TNG. We don't need to mention that right now. That's fine. Um, but she's come up with the thing. And now uh, the, the youngins are getting put in the transporter buffer, getting all that Borg infection beamed out. There's also a discreet private scanning thing that's finding those remaining changelings. So story wrapped up here. And it turns out, Pete, that those changelings, though they took many prisoners from the uh, lowest lows to the highest highs, all did not die that day. For there was not an empty place at uh, at the table uh, for Tiny Tim and also for Captain Tuvok, the real one, who's there to tell Seven that she is. Uh, but she interrupts. She says she's no good. She's out of here. She knows she's getting thrown out of the star service. Uh, but Captain Shaw had left a note in her file before his demise. Uh, it's noted that Hanson... Even before they left for the writing system. Before... Uh, it, all of this before all of this he says that she's an innovator and an instigator and ultimately kind of a new model of captain certainly not the traditionalist that shaw was uh ultimately she would make a fine fine captain and that is her uh, is his recommendation for her and it gets to our old buddy tuvok who uh, is the one to pass along that good news so the idea that the changelings kept but did not kill many of their targets and what that opens up and we'll talk more when we look at theories and what's already been discussed about that with some of our cast that have come through as far as cameos but the Tuvok scene from first pardon explanation of the next generation crew to then you know the the pound of flesh against seven ready to you know resign and then ultimately turned into a promotion but here's todd stashwick again and with this little hologram uh explanation love the line here you know i'm by the book but you know the book that she's writing is going to be great and maybe some of those rules were already broken so tremendously done to show the faith in her, as is the following scene where Raffi is wrapping up on the old uh, hollow phone with her husband and that their son, Gabe, and the granddaughter she can finally see now um, and Worf that she's developed this simpatico with comes to the quarters there uh he's he's never wept but he knows that tears are the body's uh you know uh weapon um and also this idea that some honorable maverick weaponize all the uh the the super top secret valor commendations that suddenly showed up everywhere in 
that home to see that mom's not a conspiracy theorist, but instead uh, somebody who really cares about others, uh, much like uh, Michelle Heard herself. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to see yet the, the number of videos. She went to every rap that all the actors did and, and spoke to them. I saw the one that was posted uh, that she did for Patrick Stewart. Um, again, when some of the other casts had rapped, talked about the importance of diversity, that there were several black women that did not look alike that you could tell apart. Um, but ultimately here that Worf is a dear friend and talking about the house of Martok and the house of Musiker and how everything works out for both of them. Data is in session with Troy. Data is reflecting on life as a synthetic human reflecting on the joy and melancholy of his existence, uh, his his mental growth, his emotional growth. Love the little kind of uh, tangent here almost where he's he witnessed an ensign uh, with the ensign's cat and so forth and just all of all that he is processing as, you know, something else Madeline has pointed out, Data was never given the end point to his journey in the movies. Um and that, you know, he always wanted to be a real boy. And now, you know, the story has kind of gotten him there, but not had the time to reflect. Here he is reflecting. And what a lovely uh, arc it is. Uh, I like the co the comedic timings here that Data has gone over his session by an hour. And, and I love that he's not. Again. Up, <laughs> again, indeed. Uh, I love that he's not picking up the hints that he should leave. I maybe could have done without the joke that Counselor Troy is looking up vacations here oh, i love it I, and it, okay. it's it's echoed later in the in the uh bar card game scene here uh on top of the fact that when the door opens it's Riker. hey data how you feeling um oh, I'm, I'm okay uh and then he leaves and R Riker asks her if he's still a badass which of course you know she slips into counselor mode and, and chides him about. But Matt, Matt, take us to one year later. We are at the Fleet Museum where the big enterprise has a spot there. I love that. I mean, I can't swear that it's like 100% to scale. But when we first saw the Fleet Museum and every ship was inside the ring, I was like, you know, the Enterprise D is massive. And here it is. Looking Stargazer next to it for scale. There you go. Um it's time to put this uh, ship back into shutdown mode. We have on the bridge Picard, Riker, and Jordy. Uh, they reflect on the past mattering on this bridge mattering. Uh, I love that they give Frakes the line, you know, where, where they get to reflect, I think, as actors as well as the characters within the scene, what might they have been without the Enterprise? They would have been different, but not better. Uh, and the promise that Jordy will take uh, good care of her. Uh, the the uh, shutdown mode is then called for. Did you uh, notice that one year later, all three characters, I, I know it's, you know, spacesuits and all that. They're wearing the same exact clothes. Um, It's funny you should mention that because it was a slightly weird transition to go from like Riker 
making a joke on Data's expense and hugging Deanna to like boom one year later. Um, perhaps Pete, it was a late. Perhaps it was a latter edition. Perhaps it was it was decided in the edit to have this be a year later. True. Um, because ultimately to sit and say some time later, mumble mumble, not sure when that is. Jack has been field promoted to Ensign and doesn't need to go to Starfleet Academy, and they've done the the rename uh, that we're about to discuss. Like, and, and then now they're ready to do a shutdown. I mean, you want to tell me that's a month later? Uh, okay, you want to tell me that's two weeks later? I mean, that's eh, maybe a bit much. You want to say it's six months? Like a year does feel like a good chunk here, but maybe it was not shot that way. Um, but uh, we get presumably Pete the final uh appearance by way of uh you know audio file of major barrett uh as the computer Riker saying how he misses that voice pete i think we all miss that voice uh and that is our our final scene on this set at the space dock which is no longer listing but they've fixed here we have beverly jack and picard all in a shuttle on their way to Jack's first posting, that aforementioned accelerated track he's been placed on a year later, he's entering Starfleet. And the concept, dually, that names mean almost nothing because, oh, you know, it wasn't nepotism, or wait, maybe it was, to names meaning almost everything. And sorry for the subterfuge, uh, Dad and Admiral. But, hey, wait, what ship? Are, oh, it's the Titan. Oh, but is it? And Matt will talk about this in theories. I really, really felt it was going to be the USS Picard. I'm fine that it's the Enterprise G. Um, and they sell it on rewatch, you know, for you and your crew. Uh, I think that I think the best choice was made here. Um, they hammer home that name means almost everything. In fact, um, a lovely moment. Heck, Pete, I'm reminded that you know uh, the United States Navy, though we are currently in between enterprises, that's because the next enterprise is being built. Like the United States always has an enterprise too. Um, ultimately, we see Jack on the bridge, uh, ready to take on the world. We're gonna go here. We're gonna go to Metallus Prime and do all the weapons. Uh, but of course, he's just an ensign. It's a nice little story opening to be, you know, to let us introduce Captain Seven, Executive Officer Rafi, uh, where Seven says that they are actually preparing for a shakedown cruise. So where's Jack headed? In a little final flourish here. I know I've said in previous podcasts, Pete, I think Terry Madelis likes the Jack character more than me. Okay, I could see now, as is suspected, they're they're set up for more with this character regardless of when it gets made or what that looks like. But is Jack going to be headed to this one spot? Cause he'd be good at that or that spot over there. He'd be good at that. Or maybe a third spot. No, he's going to be special counselor to the captain, which, which makes me chuckle Pete. Um, as for seven special thing that she's going to say, they all say a thing. The, the, the crew is looking, the crew is wondering. She opens her mouth. We cut away Pete. That also was the right choice. Leave them wanting more. Yep. Even though I don't think it's going to get made anytime soon, leave them wanting more, if only in our hearts. And it hasn't been written yet. We go to Guinan's bar, Matt, 
where it's fun all around. Um, and Picard, of course, gets the honor to toast and regales them here with some poetry. Ultimately, here, the poker cards come out and a sequence that uh, Terry Madalus as director let them just play for 45 minutes. Sir Patrick won, uh, they believe, all of it. They may have been allowed to win there, but we ultimately wind up in the overhead shot, much like the end of uh, All Good Things. Um, and the next generation Star Trek fanfare playing us out into the credits. But wait, wait, Matt. It's a post-credit scene? A delicious use of a mid-credit scene here. We've gotten our goodbye. I don't I don't mind that our last bit of this show is not of this show, but rather an eye towards the future. It's Star Trek. It always has an eye towards the future. The fact that Jack Crusher is there, uh, a, a slightly younger and rejuvenated Q appearing, uh, f- though Picard's trial ended for jack crusher the trial continues um i don't know where it's headed i don't know if they know where it's headed humans think so linearly on the one hand you might say there are elements of this season that undid previous seasons this is also the same star trek that got what the classic trek got canceled twice and then the animated series and that went away and movies and crisis and spock died and spot this is part and parcel and the notion that the voyage does continue in some way at some point out there a delicious way perhaps not to end this series but a delicious way to keep star trek going pete we have an incoming threat analysis uh there's just one on the list it's the biggest baddies of them all for tng it's the borg if you're going to return to them. This was the way to do it, that we get the explanation that the queen was the face communicating with the changelings the whole time. And you can go back and you can compare them. It's definitely her. Uh, so what we assumed was, you know, some male big bad was the queen. I like that they defeat that to the idea that she explains what they've been up to, that they had been poisoned, you know, um, metaphorically speaking, stranded at the edge of space after what Picard had done to them. And uh, she was feeding on her own, this cannibalistic idea. And then with the idea that Picard had a progeny, that uh, the, the voice there, the Vox, that she heard that she could take over and that the changelings came to them with this offer. They couldn't refuse this unholy alliance to be able to put this plan into action. It's, it's definitely a great use of the Borg in this episode. Um, I suppose we can talk the pacing and timing of the season when we do our season wrap next week. Um, But you can't, you know, you can't fault this episode for having the Borg. If this is indeed, you know, in a certain sense, the final next generation movie 
if this is a conclusion to Star Trek The Next Generation and a conclusion to the four movies and a conclusion to three seasons of Picard and a conclusion in so many ways for all these characters, then I guess it does need to be the Borg and just, you know, excellently used here. Pete, let's set our long-range sense ores to search for some theories. Maybe we want to search extra in Jupiter. I don't know. It feels awfully close to home to let stuff hap uh, happen in there. Uh, Pete, let's start with this. Will the Borg be the threat for the next season of Star Trek that we hear in this timeline? I mean, the way the Queen leaves it with uh, Jack, much like Picard, it'll always be a part of him. It's certainly a pin they can put into it that the Borg have always been linked with Q and that he shows up. I mean, listen, I would hope that if we get a Star Trek legacy and if we get these central players back, that hopefully John Delancey can return again. Somebody that Terry Madalus has called a dear friend. And they had actually filmed this credit scene when they shot the previous episode in the same room where they shot the, uh, the disclosure from Picard to Jack of what he is and what had happened there. They quickly stopped. They, uh, you know, changed costumes. They brought Delancey in. They did that in 20 minutes. And, and there you go. He had told them about this. He had told Delancey about this scene when he wrapped for season two. Hey, I'm going to bring you back. We're going to do this. Um, so they knew where they wanted to take it. I hope they can ultimately return to this but if they don't, it's it's a fitting, you know, epilogue, coda to that, whatever you want to label it. Um, the idea, though, you have that. And again, Delancey, close friend. Matt, did you know the budget got in the way of several other cameos that they want to do because they became too expensive? I, I had read that, and I'm upset by that fact. Um, I, I will grant you that at the end of the day, you know, at the end of the day, somebody is the one to be like, all right, the absolute red line cost is X, and we are not going to pay for any overages, period. Like, at the end of the day, you need that. Otherwise, you end up with, you know, some $300 million single season of television that becomes unsustainable. I get that. But if you're telling me that the plan originally was and Ro Laren did not die that day, and Michelle Forbes comes back for one more scene, but that got too expensive. Which is set up with the explanation that they didn't kill them, that they kept them for information. And doesn't have to definitively be, been spelled out here, and Ro Laren lived, but as we, I, speculated, maybe she beamed out right in time, or what have you. So you have that. How about two, Matt? They wanted admiral janeway they wanted harry kim too expensive they wanted soji and data and that somehow became too expensive again i just find myself confused um i don't i won't presume to know what kate mulgrew's get out of bed rate or kate mulgrew's one day of work rate is and again if I can understand kind of theoretically if if your money person has said, no, for real, the studio will not sign off on another 
pick pick a low ball number for a Hollywood production. Not going to they will not spend fifty thousand dollars more. And you're sitting there going, well, you know, an actor of Kate Mulgrew's stature stature for her to come in for a day, it's again, I don't pick a number, thirty grand, twenty grand, whatever it is. All of these people are too expensive to do. Um, I can conceptually understand that, but like, here's the flip side. Is the get out of bed work for one day rate for Michelle Forbes and Garrett Wang and the mighty Kate Mulgrew? Is it really so great that they couldn't have been paid to get out of bed to roll on in for this thing? The additional goodwill. I mean, listen, we've, we've said it. I'll say it again. They completely land this series finale to the point where it is the high point of the entire series. And that is so often not the case. You know, it's, it's chapter and verse of series finales that either confound or let down their viewers. This yeah, is- like, like I, I would say I have no problem with the lost finale, but many people misunderstood it. And that's a, that's a story problem. That's not it, a people it problem. Is. I, I adore it. It's the way it's cut at the end with, Hey, here's, Here's footage that we shot of the empty fuselage from season one. Let let's put that in the credits and and confuse people. Um, the Mad Men finale does not deliver. I would argue the Game of Thrones finale does not deliver. So Sopranos confused people. Yep, Wait, yep. what do you mean? I decide what happens with all the the uh, stuff that's there and the showrunners in the south of France when this airs. Why is that? audiences even if you are the most theory driven whatever show audiences want their hand held by a pilot to take us to a landing that we understand that's what you want out of a finale the work is the grand middle the work is not the end where you say and i wonder what happened after that you can in the best sense like i wonder what jack's career is well that's a different story entirely but for this story this is the best possible finale you know this is a flawless finale and what we're doing is quibbling about the tiniest little things on the margins this finale lands the series in a way that greater series like mad men like lost like game of thrones like sopranos those series were not landed so it might be easy to be like don't kill off anybody from tng don't destroy the sh- uh, br- bring back the ship that got destroyed give data he gets to be a boy after he was a pinocchio like in retrospect those things are obvious but there are better versions of all the endings of those other shows as well that didn't happen so kudos for landing on the middle of the uh, you know the, the the middle of the runway and letting everybody depart safely would it have been nice to get those cameos absolutely i can understand that maybe it might have felt from a story perspective overstuffed and then you get into the budgetary thing i'd just like to like see the line item to know like all right it was two million dollars that kept us from all of those like what it would have been I, i think they probably with all the goodwill again that they've had here had a little bit more matt no goodwill when it comes to Laris. We get one scene with her at the first episode. We never return. <sighs> Just feels, you know, I know people have said like that scene reads like a goodbye for good anyway. Um, but might have been nice to, you know, put put her in the shuttle too. This series is a story of three different shows, which is each season. 
And I don't know whether that's a net win or net loss. Pete, just yesterday on our Mandalorian podcast, I made the argument that having a different thing each season, or if you're doing a you know a two-season arc, like whatever it is, that it's okay to sit and say, season three is fundamentally different from season two. And hey, in Game of Thrones, do you remember uh, when Ned was in it? Because after that, there was a whole lot more without it, but those different eras help us mark the passage of time and the seriousness of the world they live in, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe the Picard series takes it too far. I look at this thing on my wall here this piece of paper you know season one show run by michael chabone season two show run by akiva goldsman and terry madalus let's not forget terry madalus was brought on amidst a variety of things going on including akiva goldsman genuinely looking out for star trek picard but also increasingly bewitched and in love with star trek strange new worlds um so terry madalus definitely brought on as the junior partner who's going to go gonna get promoted and then i think season three very much a terry madalus production through and through um and it feels like that and the ability to be like soji kind of was the next generation of this generation like you know much as i grew up in 1987 watching you know the the picard crew presumably there were supposed to be you know, kids and teens and tweens and whatnot who said, I want to be like Soji I, or I look like Soji or the, I identify with Soji, whatever it might be. And for her to be, you know, a non-factor in a third of this series, despite being, you know, our person to root for in the first season, th- decisions like that are strange. Maybe it's evolution across three seasons. I don't know. But similarly with Laris, would have loved one more Laris scene emotionally where do you fit in hello girlfriend here's my ex-girlfriend and the kid i had and now we're kind of like a a family unit like uh, i see there why it doesn't work but yeah pa- different parts different seasons soji played by isa brinones luminous would have loved to seen her return and ha- just have a scene with with data the daughter he never got to meet and, you know, Laris played by Orla Brady, we were gifted in that second season and all she got to do in the dual roles there uh, with Talon. But, you know, ultimately not in the cards here, Matt. Speaking of cards, as I said before, 45 minutes shot of the card game. We definitely don't have this here. Um the idea that maybe uh, another cut of it uh, is I will all on the Blu-ray anyway. It's just another reason to buy it. I would like to propose that maybe there's not a 45 minute uncut scene of it. Maybe they oh, want to no, do no, you know, no. <laughs> the, the best five or seven minutes, but yeah. um, if nothing else, Pete, I like the notion that Madelis and everybody else said, these characters and these actors need to say goodbye at their own pace and just let it play through. And if probably the first 30 seconds of dialogue, the first 15 seconds of dialogue is in character stuff and, you know, uh, a lady for the lady and stuff like that. And you know that basically at that point, even if they just start to call each other by their first names or if they start to whatever it might be, they're just going to put Star Trek music over it and do your credits and, and all of that. 
um, more paramount, pun intended, to the need to come up with the final scene is, I think, let these people have their moment um, as as characters, as actors, and the whole the whole thing. It's it's showing due deference and then some. I got a little worried that we were going to try to Star Trek six them with the signatures or anything. This was a hundred percent the choice to make um, the the roundness, the symmetry of it uh, on, on top of literally the shot uh, that you'd left them at before. Um, Matt, the, the cook turned pilot. I got to know, man, I got to ask you, I got to ask others. Did anybody get the sense this was going to be Starfleet's uh, per- first Packlet officer? <laughs> was he Packlet? I don't know. And Uh-oh. he's got, it's the, we know. He's underlit. Go ahead and say it, Pete. He's, uh, he's, he's underlit because the bridge is underlit. Yes. Because he's got some kind of like space hairnet on. Um but that he didn't respond for several beats. I thought he was going to turn around and be like, me make ship go. <laughs> um, Pete, listen, anybody can join Starfleet. Anybody can find their spot. Some people are destined to captain three ships named Enterprise uh, and save the galaxy multiple times. Other people get a promotion from lunch service to fly the ship in a hairnet uh, all i know is cookie j cookerton you are a hero this day thanks for helping save the universe pal to begin the episode with the gravitas of walter koenig all right we didn't get shatner back but to reach to the original series and initially i'm like that's clearly walter koenig wait it was 75 years past when you saw Bones in the Next Generation pilot. It's his son. Okay, they did that. I thought it was a wonderful move. And to see on social media, Walter Koenig interacting with uh, Terry Madalis there, applaud that move 110%. Pete, kind of a strange theory here. I know that obviously... Star Trek productions in the near term uh, would be season three of Strange New Worlds. And then I think the goal is early next, you know, next year, spring of 24 to start filming the Academy series, which not even we are assuming, which it has been softly stated, but clearly stated will take place in the discovery era of the timeline. So is this the, the final curtain call for, for all of these actors, I mean, I, I think one can make the argument in a in a uh, Star Trek Legacy show, bring some of them back for one more, one more thing. But is, is this the big goodbye? We'll have more to talk about, I think, in terms of news coming out over the next week when we wrap the series. But either they've got to move really quick and lock everybody up. Or, you know, Matt, so many of these people are currently unemployed. They're looking for other jobs. And then you bring in the idea of a writer's strike. At least one of our really dedicated listeners, Matt, wonders if maybe uh, they're just uh, 
playing with words as far as the status of things, but we'll talk more about that in the next segment. Well then with that, Pete, let's open Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. Pete, to the Twitter poll we go where uh, folks could rate this episode uh, as one star dot 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 must come to an end, which by the way, Pete, I thought might've been the title of the finale, like before they announced it, you know, all good things dot 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 must come to an end. Anyhow, that one star got 4.5%, two stars bridge under lit question mark got 0%, three stars nice journeys end got 22.7%, and then four stars all in for the win 72.7%. Some replies uh, to the, uh, the tweet here. First one from Stingray, a.k.a. TrekGirl88. Uh, she says, me, multiple times during this episode, and shares a, uh, a, a an enthusiastic gift gif from Hunt for Red October. Pete, next we hear from, that's right, Admiral Fred in the Netherlands. Ped, uh, pardon me, Fred is petrified underscore Fred on Twitter. Script lines by Admiral Fred from the Netherlands. Captain Matt, Captain Pete, it's been an honor serving with you too. Thank you. It means so much to me. I know that you know always. Apparently, we are the cavalry. So, Pete, some some story polish there from Admiral Fred. Yeah, and uh, I was touched to see that. Indeed, Pete. We heard also from Spider Ham Lincoln, that's Tess LC139 on Twitter, who says this was not a perfect episode, but many aspects of it were perfection. There were some missed opportunities and missed characters, but overall, it was a wonderful and emotionally satisfying experience. Some of us wanted to see this person or that. Maybe we expected different story outcomes, and we were hoping for threads from previous seasons to be tied up. But at the end of the season, uh, uh, but at the end of the season, at the end of this series, what they gave us was beautiful and way more than we deserved. The novels that will be written before the one year later coda of the finale should be fun. And to the future of Trek, uh, the queue is the limit. Now let's finally see a return of the conspiracy bugs and hashtag Star Trek Legacy. Thank you, Spider-Ham Lincoln, for keeping that theory alive. I see that you replied, Pete. Uh, there's that series, Big Bad Bugs. Um, and James Sagacious said uh, that he loved it as well. So glad they didn't give away Seven's command line. Bring on Star Trek Legacy. Can't wait to hear the pod. And here he is, Pete, listening to himself on the pod now. Look at that. It's the snake eating its tail. It is. Uh, I, I really hope we get Star Trek legacy. I, I have a hard time thinking there'd be this much movement if it wasn't ultimately going to be happening, but boy, the uncertainty, man, it's rough. And uh, Pete, because sometimes Twitter doesn't have enough engineers, some of James's message, I'm, I'm sure through no fault of his own, got a little garbled. So let's just recap here. Here's some of the other things that he said leading into that last comment. Uh, number one, they have the big sphere. We have the big cube. These evil space people need uh, better engineers. Uh, James also said, two, it took longer for the cube to explode than the planet Namek. Really hoping there's at least uh, one other Dragon Ball Z fan in the family. And then, Pete, that leads to uh, three, how he loved it and, and glad that they didn't give away Seven's line there. And Pete, uh, next tweet here, last tweet on the old list here comes from at Gunnar JCH, who says, I really enjoyed Alice Borg Queen versus Picard again, but Crusher should have been there to call Jack back. By the way, it was really nice of the Borg Queen to give him a cool superhero suit rather than the standard scavenge, scavenge style Borg garb. 
Speaking of Jack, uh, his uh, importance didn't feel earned, nor did his journey justified. Uh, did it justify the new fake uh, job title on the Titan? Oh, sorry, I meant the Enterprise. Uh, the show called uh, the show called out that him getting fast track could be nepotism, but calling it out doesn't make it right. I also think it's a bit disrespectful to both the Enterprise and the Titan to rename the ship. Uh, and this is the one criticism I kept going back to for this season. The choices were made with the intentions for a new show, but I don't think they served the TNG characters well. Still love the show, though, and can't wait for the next Star Trek series. Between The Mandalorian and Picard, this, to me, was a more satisfying season finale. Pete, maybe one of these days, maybe the next time there's a confluence of uh, you know, Marvel and Star Trek or something like that, we might have to do a separate, a separate weekly poll who won the week. Yeah. Uh, but for for Gunnar JCH, it was Star Trek. I think that's kind of the unanimous choice. Um, but it's also different sewing up a series as opposed to a season. Like if you viewed the end of the third season of The Mandalorian through the lens of that's the end of the show, I, I think you feel a little differently about it. Um, and I can appreciate his his criticism there that the stuff on jack and you know that ed spieler's character had been kind of you know out of sight for so long and then you know it kind of mirrors the story boom here he is now um and maybe if we had had a little bit more to prepare for that but ultimately it is what it is um again i just these people are going to need other employment and the idea that they're going to search for that and it won't immediately be Star Trek legacy because apparently we're going to drag our feet on making that call and putting it in production. If it ever happens that they may go on to other things and you may never get them back. Um, you know, Matt, you've reminded me of the nice lady on the uh, original enterprise that showed up on Star Trek Discovery, who was like the helmsman that they did a whole big thing on. And there was a video and she's not on Stranger Worlds. It is a weird confluence of, you know, art and business and all of that. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, you can't make the studio make a thing quickly if they're not sure about the financial viability. And at the end of the day, it's there. I mean, I'll, shoot, I'll just ballpark it here. Probably this 10-episode season, maybe, you know, I'm counting money spent total, not, you know, tax rebates or previous stuff. I mean, probably not $10 million an episode, but more than $5 million an episode. So you're talking somewhere, you know, spend $75 million. That's a lot of money. That really is a lot of money to get wrong. Um, so they do need to make choices carefully and, with knowledge and you know et cetera et cetera so before you promote it that's before yeah. a lot of the other costs so it does add up you know this is why we're not hollywood being counters we're we're hollywood watchers and you know we we check out the trades and we try to read the trends it it's tough when the rubber hits the road in terms of squaring both the you know entertainment and the business sides of it and and how to make that happen and you just hope at some point they're going to be able to work through this i mean 
for Jerry Ryan, man. Like, let, let's do it for her. Let, let's do it for Michelle Hurd. Um, I haven't seen anybody that doesn't want this. So you would think it would be an easy call, right? And we've had five Star Trek shows going. There's fewer now because this has gone away. You replace uh, Picard with this. And worth keeping in mind, too, and I'm trying to get the number as we speak, it's, it's somewhere in the neighborhood, like in the three seasons of Picard, uh, I want to say in the neighborhood of $20 million of that expense was done through California tax credits. Mm -hmm. Just my point being, like, that was a factor in the show getting made. That was a factor, that was a factor in the show getting made in California, I don't know what that looks. I, I gen, truly do not know. Like, what's the tax situation? What's that program look like? Blah 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 blah. Like, you have Strange New Worlds and the Academy show that presumably are going to shoot in Canada, and you, you know, there's a variety of money things here, which which is not not the rosiest way to look at all this, but it is what it is what pays for all of this, so that we can then go, oh man, ten dollars a month for Pete and I to share an account. To watch this show that will cost thirty dollars because it's three months, you know, like it's it, it, it is what gets these shows made. So I guess if they're going to take their time, I mean, Pete, a week ago I would have told you, that, as I've said before, all this Section Thirty One talk is hogwash. She's gone. She's out the door to bigger and better things. They made it work. They made it work. So if you're telling if me you if, don't know too, that's going to be part of this in the ultimate analysis was something already done and they reformed it. Did they take, Hey, here's your 10 episode, your eight episode limited series. And now that'll be the work for a two hour. I mean, at the end of the day until they put it in a theater, like they did with the last two hours of Picard, it's a made for TV movie. Similarly, you want to tell me as soon as, uh, as soon as San Diego Comic-Con, New York Comic-Con, Star Trek Day, they're going to announce the legacy Paramount Plus film series in which they're going to do four two-hour movies. You know, again, you want to call that a miniseries or a, the, whatever label you want to give it. You know, maybe that's right around the corner too, and just to be a different animal. Uh, heck, Pete, maybe the kind of weird but you know cool enough like we're gonna do the last two episodes in imax maybe that's a major trial balloon for the way to do a version of star trek um which is to say if you can imagine star trek being at the movies and tv or or whatever that looks like but star trek is the place to do it pete star trek is lighting the way for the future sometimes accurately sometimes aspirationally but uh they keep making money off of it so they they figure out a way for Star Trek to keep lighting the way in that way too. And we'll pay him. <laughs> that we will. Pete, what do you have there over on Facebook? Scott Cleland wrote in, Matt, just listened to the podcast. In the beginning, you talked about how Matalus has said there's no ST legacy in development. Could that be because the show has already been developed and he's just being coy with the fans by carefully choosing his words winky emoji um i love that 
when would this so like i know we talked about it last week they finished filming this season over a year ago right uh not over a year ago um but close okay so i guess my point being unlike a network tv situation where you go oh man for the may 20th season finale they were still filming on may 2nd and they were editing on may 8th and they were scoring and final passes you know five days ago my point being could it be that star trek inc the kurtzman the paramount plus has gone to madalus and said um we want you to, to develop this we would like it to be completely in its final form on april 30th the last day of the current bargaining thing but <laughs> <laughs> but darn it, Terry, once you turn in your final episode as director and once you sign off it as executive producer, you got nothing else on your platter other than to come up with every little last thing and have a mini writer's room and have a this and have the sketches of the. I like that as a theory. I think that is that coming from the same Paramount Plus that, you know, didn't anticipate that uh, Captain Pike and Spock would be a hit and number one would be a hit and bring it back. The Enterprise would be a hit. Uh, could be also could they but have learned it, from their though, mistakes because that was the worst kept secret and i i feel like history is going to repeat itself in that have they secretly already greenlit this i have a hard time thinking that's the case and the the social media you know bandwagoning of well hey tweet it every hour on the hour and use the hashtag star trek legacy and and star trek picard and picard finale and picard season three i don't think they'd be putting people through those steps if it was already assured um it's a weird calculus matt you know we've we've done enough of this over 10 years with fantastic geek and you know covering tv and film and and seeing you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with the mighty Marvel be a hair's breath away from um, cancellation and, and then getting two more abbreviated seasons. So, you know, it does ultimately become a money situation. But creatively, I think we all feel there's more here. There's meat on the story bone that we want to see. Jerry Ryan, Michelle Hurd, Ed Spielers, Ashley Sharp Chestnut, as many as you can bring back. They talk about a plan for Todd Stashwick. And come on, we all know Seven's going to rejuvenate him with Borg nanoprobes. He's going to become the very thing he swore to destroy. It'll it'll be the whole, uh, you know, Shakespearean arc for him let's do it let's lock them up now um you know the reality is different uh, pete can i pitch you on the first scene of star trek legacy i know we're technically in feedback but sometimes inspiration strikes like lightning do it um there's a there's a shuttle pod headed towards the enterprise g who's piloting it ro laren yeah she's reflecting to unseen person how they thought she you know, some of the people on this ship, a year ago, they thought I was dead, uh, but I had been beamed off and blah, 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 blah. So uh, are you ready? Are you ready to uh, officially, I know they did the shakedown cruise, but you're ready to officially launch the ship. 
Captain Harry Kim? And he says, absolutely. But of course, I couldn't be here without, pull back even more, Admiral Janeway. Let's go see Seven start her great journey in the stars. Boom. You just turned what you didn't have for this into the kickoff for Legacy. Terry, you can email anytime. <laughs> Indeed, Pete, to the email inbox we go. First one up here from Stacy. Hi, Matt and Pete. First, I have to issue a correction to last week's email. I went on and on about Amanda Plummer's portrayal of Vatic and then called her Amanda Palmer. I'm not even sure I can blame autocorrect on this one. But whatever the cause, I wanted to give Amanda Plummer her proper due. Okay, on to The Last Generation. Oh, that intro is definitely setting the tone. This is going to be a dark episode. Walter Koenig, that's a lovely nod to Anton Yelchin. Riker, you are the cavalry. See, Data knows. Oh, mobile transmitter phasers. Nice. Of course Jean-Luc is going down there. Even if it weren't his son, going on an extremely dangerous away mission is his kink. Add in Riker and Worf, and now you have a threesome. I'm usually more moved by reunions, but all these farewells are getting to me. Line of sight propagation seems pretty primitive for Borg. Ah, good pep talk, Seven. Ha, hidden phaser in the hilt of Worf's sword. Of course it's that heavy Riker. It belongs to a Klingon, and swords are fun. Damn, I always forget how big Borg cubes are. Yes, boys, Beverly can handle the weapons. Trust Data's gut? I would in a minute. Needs of the many? I really, really thought Riker and Worf weren't going to make it out of this. Apparently Worf did too. There's a moment today where I was worried we might actually survive. I'm glad we were both wrong, Worf. Jean-Luc going in for Jack, a captain, uh, pardon me, a father, not a captain, connection, the thing Jack longed for. Huh. Riker tries to say goodbye, but Deanna ain't having any of that nonsense. Gonna fly this damn ship herself. Silly boys always need rescuing. Worf snoring. It's been a long day, and his sword is very heavy. Admiral Crusher. Developed technology to remove the Borg code from the youngins. Hmm. Don't so much like the privately scans for other irregularities. Oh, Shaw, self-aware to the last, and understands Seven, and the people like Seven are needed. Captain Seven of Nine. Oh, Worf, what a kind thing, helping Rafi connect with her family. An honorable maverick, to be sure. Data needs a cat. Major Barrett for the last time. Ah, Riker, we miss that voice, too. Ha, Jack calling out that he's a Nepo baby. Child of not one, but two Starfleet admirals. Oh, Picard, names mean everything. I thought the Titan was going to be named at, to be named the Picard, but not while he's alive. I think, bad luck, Enterprise is better. Oh, wow, Seven captaining the Enterprise with Rafi at her side and Jack on her other side. Special counselor to the captain, a.k.a. I want you where I can see you. Ha, huh. that sounds like the beginning of a joke. A thief, a pirate, and a spy walk onto a bridge. Happy to see Rafi and Seven's relationship seems back on an even keel. I mostly love the bar scene, with a couple of exceptions. If you're going to name-check Guinan, I want to see her. Don't draw attention to her absence. And Will and Deanna talking about a vacation, but not their daughter? As you often say, one line to explain, and I would have been happy. Uh, I'm so glad Kester was uh, with so-and-so when the changelings came for me. Thad got more mention in this episode, and he's gone. Maybe she was included in the line, changeling adversaries kept but did not kill many of their targets? But I need to ju them to just say it. Just one little line about picking Kester up from wherever, then heading off to Florida. Wait, Data can't recite a limerick, but Picard can recite a poem? Seems unfair, especially since Data has always wanted to finish that one. 
ending with poker and laughter was definitely the way to go. Wait, wait, wait. Q, what does this delightful surprise cameo mean? Anxiously looking forward to your thoughts on this one. Pete, that's from Stacy, aka Stingray, aka Trick Girl 88 on Twitter. Next one up is an email from Josephina who says, Hey, fantastic. This episode made me laugh from the beginning. When the crew was looking at Jupiter, Picard said, There, magnify. And as if the computer or someone new just zoomed in to said surface right at the cube, it was just too vague and funny. I thought that the Enterprise bridge was too dark. Almost uh, seemed like a plug-in nightlight was their only light source. When Beverly found a way to locate Jack, Picard decides to go. Riker is up uh, and Worf. Haha, <laughs> it makes it a threesome. Riker's response was hilarious. Oh man, Data, this episode was acting like what we all fear about artificial intelligence. He experienced hatred. Not to quote Star Wars, but Yoda once said, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering, which can make uh, take him to the dark side. But he was like a kid in a candy store piloting the ship. Interesting that Deanna felt a sense of enjoyment. Speaking of emotions, has the Borg Queen ever seemed so emotional? She was pissed. Oh, I liked how the skeleton crew left on the Enterprise reacted to Dr. Crusher's torpedoes away, locking phaser and returning fire. They were like, WTF? Don't piss off Crusher. They totally had a Spock moment when deciding to blow the beacon. Was this the Hail Mary moment we've been waiting for or what? Very touching moment when Picard went back into the collective. Time must not exist in there because he took entirely too long convincing Jack. Those flashbacks reminded me of Lord of the Rings when Sam was drowning and Frodo reached in and saved him. I think it was the music. Oh, call me a hopeless romantic. When Riker was saying his goodbyes, Deanna felt him. She also flew that huge starship uh, all like she was going, uh, like it was a DeLorean and, and uh, where she was going, we don't need roads. Parallel parked like a blues brother right above them. It was awesome. I'm glad to see Tuvok is alive and well. To see those two together again on screen was delightful. And he called her captain. I for sure thought we were going to get Admiral Janeway, but oh well. I guess I got to go watch Prodigy. Captain Seven left us on a cliffhanger. As a matter of fact, we were left on two cliffhangers. Seven's command of execution and the scene with Q and Jack. I thought the Titan was going to be renamed the USS Picard. That would have been cool. In the bar scene, I called it. They ended playing poker. Picard's toast speech was very fitting. Seeing that the Star Trek series mimics naval military tradition, riding current uh, where it serves. Wow. Meanwhile, Laris is waiting for Jean-Luc in some bar watching a sunset. Oops. I'm going to miss the TNG cast. I never thought they would make a comeback. I look forward to hearing what you guys have to say in the series wrap-up. It was a pleasure joining you guys on this journey, and I'll leave you with resignation denied, Captain. That from Josephina. And last email here from uh, JT Adkins, who says, First of all, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Series finales are difficult things. I'm sympathetic to the challenge of ending well, capturing the essence of what has gone before, serving up memorable drama, and potentially setting up something for the future that is the same but different. I've got to tell you, Star Trek Picard, you did it all in grand style. I've had a crazy week, so I'm writing this in the small hours of Sunday morning. So it's going to be a bit disjointed. Sorry. With that in mind, here comes a series of observations. This was incredibly cinematic, which is consistent with the rest of the season. I've been listening to the soundtrack, and wow, not just film score worthy, but excellent film score worthy. In fact, I plan to rant, rant, rant about that for your series wrap. 
The story is tremendous and completely earned by what has come before in the previous two seasons, not to mention all of the Next Generation TV and movies. The episode completes Jean-Luc's long-earned transformation into a man who can love, who can be vulnerable, who isn't hiding behind masks anymore. His scene with Jack when he's in his Borg head, Jean-Luc's transformed, softer, more vulnerable behavior in the post-log, oh, and his admission to Jack, I waited in the vineyard, waited to die alone. You are part of me that I never knew was missing. I'm not crying, you're crying. This episode packed so much in. It felt like it was two hours long in the best ways. Our next generation friends got such great moments. Data got to fly the 1701D one more time, not crash it and enjoy it to boot. Beverly got to be the woman we remember and someone new. Nice shooting, doctor. Uh, Deanna got to save the day by locating her Imzadi and have fun comedy in the counselor's office. Worf, what fun. From badass with a heavy sword, swords are fun, to the old guy snoring in his chair, he nailed it. Jordy got to take command, save his kids, and enjoy time with his best friend. Riker, right on target. And that look he gave Deanna as he left the bridge to go die, subtle, sweet, perfect. Speaking of subtleties, there were so many great character moments throughout. To name a few, Jean-Luc's, it's been an honor serving with you all. I mean, seriously, what a perfect moment in the story that is also at the same time perfect out of the story because we know out there in real life this reunion is about to end. Same for Jean-Luc's goodbye to Riker and the Cube and Jordy and Data uh, extra looking back and forth before Jordy gives the okay to fire on the Cube. Amazing. Now a few quick hits. Finally, Star Trek has its own Order 66 of 9, tertiary adjunct of Unimatrix 01. Thanks, Joe, for not answering the romance between Jean-Luc Beverly or Jean-Luc Laris. We get to believe whichever one we want. Thanks for not going the cheap uh, drama of killing one of the legacy characters in the finale. Seven got to give her Sons of Scotland speech and have her emotional moment at the table with Tuvok. Thanks, showrunners. Thanks, Jerry Ryan, for such tremendous acting. Well, uh, all of everything meant there wasn't a lot of room for Rafi. She occupied her part of the story with style and grace. Awesome. Thanks for the last 20 minutes. I'm glad we got everything we got after the Borg story was completed. All of the love, joy, and companionship of the conclusion was incredibly heartwarming and performed to perfection. And the blatant setup for a legacy series? Yes, please. I love the way they did it, but it dovetailed perfectly with the finale as well. Seamless. And the card game? Once again, what a triumph of acting, directing, cinematography, and music. We were all right there with them. Joy, love, Shakespeare. Indeed, we're grateful to have ridden the tide with you. That from J.T. Atkins. And last, but of course never least, we get to hear from our returning Admiral Wyatt's Fred from the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Picard Season 3, Episode 10. The Season 3 and the Series Finale. Sirs, I can give audio feedback. I'm just a cook. Uh, I did a training to give audio feedback to podcasts, but I didn't finish it because my mother... Well, for a cook, he didn't do very bad, I think. I always found it strange that an ensign is flying a spaceship, including Wesley Crusher. On the other hand, if you need the next level of flying, you need Mr. Data. Although that flying through the Borg cube 
and all these spaces, corridors, whatever, gave me quite a Star Wars feeling. Because if in a Star Wars film or series there is not a chase in a gorge, then it's not Star Wars. As I already stated in my feedback recently for The Mandalorian. So much pain, so much misery, they inflicted on so many. I hate them, Data says. When he says this, you really have the feeling that lore comes up a little bit. Well, I have to make the makers of this series, and especially the makers of this last episode, a compliment. They really managed to wrap it up in one episode, and even in a kind of believable way. And even with some lingering time, like in the bar and playing poker. Great prediction, Pete. Talking about believable, I have to say, these Borgs are silly, because they are very vulnerable. I mean, when this beacon is gone, all the Borgs are gone, actually. So what I would have done is at least send a quarter or half of that fleet to the cube and protect it. It was great to recognize immediately Walter Koenig's voice, so old Chekhov playing his son as president a very nice cameo in that way we did have a connection to the original series really really great same is true for the real Tuvok and having our connection to Voyager it didn't become Janeway as many expected but come on there is a new series coming up if this is not a new series coming up I don't know with Captain Seven of Nines first command saying going to warp withholding and I really really loved the post credit more or less post credit scene with Q so the series the next generation started with Q and it ended with Q so with all this praise it certainly would be an A plus or a 10 great Matt and Pete that you did this series thank you very much for this ride Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Why am I sensing enjoyment? My oh my, the biggest takeaway there from Fred, not that he has given the vaunted 10 out of 10 A+, although I think the show is uh, certainly accepting of it, not that he has some very wise thoughts there about uh, why ensigns fly, which is a good question that I've never considered in all these years of Star Trek. But the biggest revelation there that perhaps Admiral Fred is actually uh, kitchen first mate Fred. This will take some ponderation there. But Fred, thank you for your thoughts this week and every week. Well, thank you again, Fred, for being with us here and on The Mandalorian. Looking forward to continued involvement. The same way, Matt, the people, they get to patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Their involvement keeps the dilithium in our engines. Yes, thanks to everybody who goes to patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Keeping us listener supported, sharing that value, putting a number on that value that they get out of our podcasts. It is so very, very much appreciated, particularly as, you know, though this Star Trek Picard journey is coming to an end. Don't forget season slash series wrap podcast next week. But though this adventure is coming to an end, many adventures ahead of us, including uh, Strange New Worlds right around the corner. 
and all of that. And indeed, Pete, let's keep the Star Trek conversation going. How can people be in touch with you on a social media network? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R 12,867 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter is looking back lost, do be in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. Pete, as mentioned, still more Star Wars, still more Star Trek to be discussed. Indeed, our pop culture podcast feed uh, floweth aplenty. We'll be talking Strange New Worlds and its just luminous season two trailer. We'll be talking that during the week, then uh, back for Star Wars Saturday to wrap up uh, The Mandalorian season three and back on Star Trek Sunday to wrap up Picard season three, nay, the whole series. Uh, but for now, Pete, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word. Swords are fun. Swords are fun.